Baseball returning in two weeks. Biggest deal ever in the NFL. I'm Jonathan Pariente, the Beast of the East. My co-host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We are downtown sports. We are where sports come home. Let's dive in. I love how you're so excited about this whole deal. I love how everybody's so happy about it. Patrick Mahomes, oh, congratulations for the biggest contract in professional NFL history. Congratulations. I'm saying that very sarcastically. Well, how could you be, John? Let's dive right into the first meat of our story. Start it. Here we go. So Patrick Mahomes yesterday agreed to a brand new 10-year contract, $503 million. Half a billion dollars. Half a billion. $50.3 million he will get paid a year. That's a lie. $137,808 a day. That's a lie. $5,742 an hour. That's a lie. $96 a minute. That's a lie. A buck sixty a second. That is a big fat lie. All of this okay, is now, lies. What is this with you? Everything is a lie. No. The numbers this, are right there, my friend. The numbers are right in front of my eyes. Yes. What sport are we in? What sport are we talking about? The NFL. We're, we're gonna do, hold on. I got to try to guide Beast back to sanity here, okay? Uh, okay. It's, bad when, it's bad when you're the one that, that, that's, that, that's crazy. Illuminate uh, it's not me. not good. Please illuminate me. Illuminate me, Mouth. Um, there's an article on CBS Sports. It's written by Shanna McCarriston, where... I'm just going to really get to the meat of it. You could go through it if you want, you know, take a nice little read. You see beast is looking at this right now and you know, he's just, you know, getting to it. He's like, Nope, there's nothing he's reading there. That's wrong so far. Keep on going down. You're not reading anything bad there so far. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here's the first thing that proves that that entire thing you said was a lie. Go back up beast. Go back up. Um, I want you to read that part. No, go down. The one where it says he explained. And this is uh, David Sampson, right? Uh, He sat down on his podcast, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, to discuss the deal. So while the deal's worth over a half a billion dollars, it's not all guaranteed. Here's what the money really means. So the 10-year extension quote from Mr. Sampson worth approximately $450 million. That's $45 million per year, not 503 over 10 for an average annual value of 50.3 million. So he's not getting paid 50.3 really off the bat at all. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's getting paid less, but you're thinking, wait, but no, that that's still like 450 million over 10 years. But here there's a difference with how the NFL does these kinds of contracts. So yes, Yes. See, 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 John. Now, are you understanding? All right, mouth. You've illuminated me. uh, Opened my eyes a little bit. Wow. It's bad when I'm the sensible one. It's bad. Why do I have to be the sensible one of the show? Bad when I take things at face value, isn't it? Yeah, you shouldn't. I'm not saying be like Alex Jones, but Jesus, go ahead. Alex Jones. Yeah, we gotta gotta read the contract. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right, yeah, let's not get this other podcast. Let's keep going with ours. 
I better not channel him. Okay, back to No, God, don't channel him, please. In the NFL, the incentives are by no means are guaranteed and vary based on the player and team. The base contract is also not guaranteed due to injury clauses. Yes, obviously. So go down. Now, I'm just going to take it away, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to like cut to the chase. He's only guaranteed $140 million. That's if he plays all 10 seasons and doesn't miss a single game. He's then guaranteed that injury clauses make that less. Talk about big expectations. So we're looking at a situation where if he wins the MVP, he gets an added $25 million. If they make the Super Bowl, they get what? How much additional money for the Super Bowl? He's got a contract for this year and next year. So let's not forget, this contract, this 10-year deal, does not take effect right now. That 10-year deal takes effect in two more years. Mm-hmm. So that means he still has two years on his previous contract. Didn't make a lot of money in that, in that first one. Okay, fine. But he's going to have that contract for this year and next year. So this year, he's going to make 2 to $3 million. Next year, he's going to make 25 to $27 million. Add those two years plus the 10 years where he's going to make $45 million a year. Then he's making $25 million. On top of that, he can get for winning the MVP every year, getting to the Super Bowl every year, which this is not Tom Brady. He's not going to make it every year. I'm sorry. This is not Bill Belichick. This is Andy Reid. Make it very, nope. very clear about that. We'll, then you get yeah, look, million. lightning can strike once. It happened with A-Rod. Yeah. Didn't happen right. again for him, though. But my point is, yeah, you have to make it every year to the Super Bowl. Every year you have to win the MVP, which doesn't always, is not going to always happen. They then, won't do it. Yeah. Then you could see five. The writers won't give him the MVP every single year just because they can't. But yeah. So congratulations. That sounds like the biggest contract ever. Oh, another thing they forgot to mention. Not all of it is guaranteed. How can that be? Because in football, unlike baseball, contracts are not guaranteed. Only a percentage is, and that percentage depends on the contract. Yeah. Okay, so here's so- a guarantee that he's got. It's 140 million. Now, now. This is the biggest amount of guaranteed money any player has ever received in NFL history. Very true. 40% more. That was also brought up in that article. But everybody who is hooting and hollering and screaming and yelling, oh, he's $503 million a year. That's going to handicap the Chiefs forever and this and that. and that. It's not true. It's not true. It's okay. He's maybe getting half that. Maybe three-fourths of it if he's lucky. $25 million of it, at least for five of those years. If the, let's say the Chiefs are just amazing, dynasty level. They make six Super Bowls, win four. And Mahomes wins the MVP for four of those seasons that he makes the Super Bowl. Then, for those, and he stays on the field the whole year, he'll make $50.3 million for those years. But what happens at the tail end of that contract? Fair. When his numbers start falling off and then his annual salary th- due to the breakdown of the contract actually starts to go up higher and higher because other sources are reporting that the breakdown of this contract is even more... Um, back loaded than it's been reported previously so 
the Chiefs might be saving money on at least the first five years of his contract, getting Patrick Mahomes at, I'd say, about 30% of the value that he's actually worth. And there's still con- and there's concerns I have with offering a player this this type of money. And I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes doesn't deserve it. He does. Great player, great generational player. We're not going to see another quarterback like him for how long? Who knows? The only money he's being offered is 140 million guaranteed. The rest of it is like dangling a carrot in front of his face. But then look what happens with the money the Chiefs are going to spend on him. Yes, cap space is an important thing. I know the Chiefs and the NFL will see more cap space down the road. Yes. There's also opt-outs in this deal as well. There's opt-outs, that's right. He can opt-out whenever he wants. So the minute he sees the Chiefs are not going where he wants them to go, you think Patrick Mahomes is going to stay? Even though he says, I want to be a Kansas City Chief for life. I think he'll stay. What's going to happen? Yeah, but what happens to a lot of NFL players when they don't like where the team's going, they go where the money is. Well, let's be real here. If if ownership all of a sudden does a complete 180 to the system and style and way of way they run business, why wouldn't he opt out? Especially if he were still playing at the level he's playing today. But you see, that's the thing that the Chiefs kind of did here. They, in a way, secured their investment for a very long time, meaning people are going to have to really give a legitimately – better deal than this to get Patrick Mahomes and they're banking on the fact that Mahomes is going to be well above worth value in the first five years of his contract and then come back down to actual value because if you look at revenue deals you're seeing the money's going up I think uh what's the current salary cap in the NFL John the salary cap always alters every year it's never the same one year and it's never the same this year but here, the maximum team salary for 2020 is $198.2 million. In 2017, it was on only $167 million, right? Incremental increase, but you see, incremental, 2017, 167, 2018, 177.2, then 2019, 188. So it goes up by about $10 million a year. So now – Consider what the Kansas City Chiefs are paying Patrick Mahomes in the first two or three years of this deal. Go back, we go back to that Samson article. He's making only $45 million in his first two years, and then it goes up. Yep, so that's 90. Then it's the $45 million per year. So the Chiefs can actually, so what the Chiefs have done is essentially they've padded this contract so that they could actually pay for it. With the salary cap increase incremental via $10 million a year, and that increment is going to go up as well due to advertising deals and new television contracts being signed. The Chiefs are literally banking on salary cap increase to pay for Patrick Mahomes for them. And they also, of course, and I think this is going to be a very big point going forward, by winning the Super Bowl and showing what he's done, Patrick Mahomes is the next face of the NFL. We're actually, we've already, we're already seeing it. He is the new face of the game getting paid this money. Yes, he is. He's been branded the face of the game. Now, here's the other thing. He's up to that money every year. That's going to be the big thing coming for the next 10 years. He's already lived up to it. He's already lived up to it. And I'm kind of glad he got this deal. And, you know, as good as it looks, it, it's very team-friendly considering the player that they have. Think about it. 
if salary cap increases incrementally pay for his contract, and then later on in his contract, his contract will actually like not be as big of a hit anymore. Because think about it, if it's going up ten million by uh, twenty thirty, the salary cap should be about three hundred million dollars a year per team. Well, we're going to all have- of a sudden that becomes real team friendly towards the end of Mahomes' career, so that they can then pick up free agents to bolster their aged quarterback. This is a great deal for the Chiefs. This is an excellent deal on paper now. But now here's what's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Now that this deal has passed, yep. look at what it's going to do now to other quarterbacks that are trying to kind of gain an equivalent of this. Let, me, let me just give you an example of what's happening in Dallas right now. Yeah, please. Jerry yeah. Jones is currently banging his head against a steel wall that over and over and over and over because Dak did not want to sign that franchise tag. He wanted a new deal. They were waiting for Pat Mahomes to drop what he got. And now Dak Prescott is sitting there smiling, thinking to himself, Mahomes signed this. Now I want to sign. Wait till you see what I'm going to make Jerry Jones sign. This contract is going to look like the most team-friendly deal in history by the time Dak Prescott gets done signing his new contract. By the time Lamar Jackson gets done signing his new contract. I'm going to wait to see what kind of contract extension Russell Wilson gets. Yeah. And let's relate this to New York. Yeah. What kind of contract extension is Sam Darnold going to get? Yeah. Look what at kind of contract extension? Look at all the quarterbacks that came out of 2018 with Darnold. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. The 2019 class. The 2019 class with Daniel Jones. Look what's going to happen now with these younger quarterbacks. Are they going to – they're going to want to demand money just like this. We've already had the first half a billionaire – with a contract like this in, in any sport. But it's not guaranteed. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And we'll cut the segment off with this. Ready? Please. This is actually a team-friendly deal. It's actually team-friendly. Because most of it's not guaranteed. He's not going to get $25 million. There's certain amounts of money he's not going to get. Every single year. He's not making $50.3 million a year. He's just not. You have to be absolutely perfect to make that. Exactly. So imagine, because Dak Prescott just signed a $40 million franchise tag. I think you're going to be seeing deals well north of this coming very, very shortly. And Pat Mahomes is going to go back to looking like the team-friendly option. It's just it's hilarious how this entire quarterback market has now been set by the best quarterback we've seen in years, in literal years, best we've ever seen. I think this is going to be the best quarterback, John, that we've ever laid eyes on. Yeah, we're seeing that. As long as he stays on the field, he's the best we're ever going to see at the position. We're seeing, if it all goes right, the new age Tom Brady. New age Tom Brady. You're seeing the evolution of Tom Brady. You're seeing what everybody thought Colin Kaepernick was going to be. Now we're seeing, well, we're seeing a new, 
the new generation, the young generation is going to see the new Brady in their generation. We saw Brady in our generation. Yeah. So, look, I, I'm hoping everything works out well for Pat. He's a good guy, team guy. It's already worked out well for him, but here's the thing. It's going to work out a lot better for Dak Prescott. He's the next man up. He's been wanting a payday for a long time. And you're going to see maybe not 10 years, but you're definitely going to see higher annual salaries, more guaranteed money. I'd imagine Dak Prescott's going to sign a $300 million five-year deal. There was a time in sports, you know, going way back, when $1 million in a contract was considered astronomical. You think we're going to eventually see the first $1 billion contract in a very short amount of time? Because right now, $500 million, half of a billion dollars is the biggest contract I've seen so far. So I'm just going to look up one final thing, right? This is an absolute, this is going to be astronomical. If we could see an NFL or any sports athlete in a contract make a billion dollars, it's going to lead to a lot of things. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll see a trillionaire down the road. Who knows? We just might. I mean, it seems like the money in the contracts just get higher and higher each and every year. This contract of Mahomes already beats what Mike Trout's making. I just want to end the segment off with this. In 2010, mm-hmm. the value of the Kansas City Chiefs as an organization was $965 million. Just short of a billion. Think about that. In the span of 10 years, NFL teams have seen their evaluations go up by at least 55 to 60%. The franchise value of the Chiefs from 2002 to 2019, as of last year, the franchise value of the Chiefs came out to $2.3 billion. Uh-huh. Just last what was it year. In, what was it in 2000? Well, 2002. Four hundred sixty-two million, and I'm gonna. I'll show in you. In two thousand and two. Hold on. So there we go. So here's the thing. Look so at if this. you take a look at this right here, in two thousand and two, the Chiefs were worth less money than Patrick. And they agreed on paper. If everything goes perfectly, and they actually really agreed to if. Patrick Mahomes doesn't make the playoffs every single year or whatever about their evaluation in 2002 over 10 years to one person. And this is now considered a team friendly deal. Because if you really look at that contract, salary cap increases alone pay for it in spades. Jack Prescott sees that. Lamar Jackson sees that. People know what these evaluations are. And they're going to want an equal share just of what Mahomes is making. They want an equal share of the investment. Equal share? Or they're going to want – no, Mahomes didn't get the equal share. Mahomes got the lesser share. I think you're going to be seeing players 
tying their contract increases to salary cap increases. That's the next wave of quarterback deals in the NFL, where if you have a quarterback like Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott, you're going to be seeing salary increases tied to a percentage of this increase of salary caps. That's how you're going to see these deals get done. That's how you're going to see amounts close to 600 million over 10 years, 700 million over 10 years. If Lamar Jackson gives you two more seasons, like he gave you last year, he's going to be the first $700 million man in sports. If all goes well, of course, because you know, NFL money is just not guaranteed. So in reality, it's not that much, but you know, it's nice to talk about the fantasy of somebody possibly getting 500 and, $3 million over 10 years. As I've said, we're not far away. We're not far away from seeing the first billion-dollar man in the NFL. I think we're getting very, very close in a short and time. Just imagine what it's going to do to the landscape of North American athletics if NFL contracts start looking better than MLB contracts. Others will follow suit. But with that, let's take a little break. When we come back, Major League Baseball returns July 23rd. We will give you the Yankees and the Mets 60-game schedule, abbreviated regular season of 2020. Back after this. And we're back on Downtown Sports. I'm John Chaboni, the Mouth of the South, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. Let's get right into the second half of this episode. It's Mets and Yankees preview. The schedules are out. Let's get that clock. 15 minutes. Start that clock, Beast. What's going on? Let's start this preview. Let's look at these schedules Which team are we starting with first? Let's go with the Yankees first. And this is going to be a very, very nice way to kick things off. July 23rd, Nationals Park. Yankees against the defending World Series champions, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, a rematch that should have happened in the 2019 World Series in Game 7. We're going to see it kick off the abbreviated season. And wouldn't you know it, Major League Baseball made sure to have uh, Cole versus Scherzer as the World Series reminder to kick off the new year this year instead of Astros Nationals. No, they give Garrett Cole the start he should have had because he made the correct decision of going to the team that wasn't, you know, taken apart wearing the scarlet letter for cheating in the Houston Astros. So... Very cute that the that uh, Major League Baseball set it up this way to have Scherzer versus Cole to start the year. Great way to start off the year for Major League Baseball. Definitely. So as we go and dive into the schedule that the Yanks are going to have, uh, they're going to play the National League and the American League East. So they mm-hmm. are not flying out on a flight to the West. They're nope. not going out to the Central. They're nope. staying right on the East Coast, and they will play – interleague matchups against the National League East, and they'll play their fellow American League East division. They kick off with the Nationals, three games. Then it's on to the Phillies, home and home. Then they go to Boston. Well, they play Boston at home. 
Orioles, Rays, Braves, Red Sox for four, Rays for three, Subway Series with the Mets at City Field, Braves again in Atlanta, play the Mets again at home, the Rays for three more, three against the O's, three in the Jays, three in the O's, three in the Jays, three at the Sox, four at the Jays, three at the Marlins. That September, if the Yankees can make it to that September schedule, anywhere above 500 at all, it could be one game, two games, three games, I don't care. If they make it to September with any sort of number of games above 500, I guarantee you that team wins 40-plus games. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And because be that September is so easy that I really only see them losing two or three games, especially with the roster that we have. And, John, let's just take a look because this starting rotation is about as deep as I've ever seen it. They can actually eat an injury to a starter and replace that person with somebody legitimate. In fact, you even have a fifth starter battle going on between Jordan Montgomery and Jonathan Lewisica. Yeah. You know what they say? You can never have too much pitching, right? And then whoever isn't the starter ends up being the long man. Or, you know what, maybe uh, since Montgomery is recovering from Tommy John, maybe you see a situ – and the wise guy, I believe, is recovering from an injury as well. No? He had, he's had – yeah, he's had arm – he's had shoulder surgeries of his own. Ooh, what, what, what would happen, let's say, oh, four innings, the wise guy, four innings, Montgomery, throw in Chapman for one inning, and there's a game. The Yankees can do a lot of interchangeable parts here with this rotation. Mm-hmm. The great thing is now what they didn't have a year ago is now they have a guaranteed ace that can give them at least seven innings a start in Garrett Cole. They have that. They also still have Masahiro Tanaka. Thank goodness he's six, okay. Seven innings. Thank, Thank goodness, goodness he is okay, yes. Took a line drive off the head in, in batting practice just days ago. Montgomery recovering from Tommy. Now you get into the question marks of this rotation. Montgomery recovering from Tommy John. Now Paxton is also a legitimate big game starter. Can be your, like, you know how Garrett Cole's your one, Paxton's your 1A. He's had injuries too. He's coming off a back surgery that he had. That he was going to be out the first couple of months. But since the season starts late, Paxton now is recovered. You have him ready to go. Can he stay healthy? big. And Jay Happ. So... If Hap can do any pitch anywhere like he did in uh, 2018 and not 2019, mm-hmm. this Yankee rotation can actually withstand a full-on injury to one of the starting five and replace them with somebody almost as competent. This is not even counting Domingo Herman, who's currently out for obviously the suspension. From I think he. Uh, I think I. I. I don't think you're going to see him till 2021. No, you're not going to see him till next year. He's out. He has to serve the suspension. The season yeah. never happened. He's got to serve the suspension once it starts. Exactly. He has to he serve games too. So in fact, I even think he's suspended into 2021 as well. Yeah. He'll he'll miss part of 2021. Maybe a small fraction. So okay. you can cross Domingo Herman off that list now. Like now, the, the now that bullpen. Now the deepest one of the deepest bullpens in baseball. You got Chapman at the closer role. Britain, your eighth-inning guy, Adovito, your seventh-inning guy, or you could interchange those guys however you want. Sessa could be a spill-in spot starter if needed. If he happens to recover from coronavirus, we still don't know what's going on with him. Jonathan Holder is a decent guy. You could fill in some innings if you really need some garbage time stuff. Now, Tommy Canley is somebody. 
yes. that I think could be an eighth inning guy or could even be a closer on for this bullpen if uh, Chapman were to go down because I think he has the second best stuff in that bullpen. Well, Canely has that power fastball at 99, and he has a devastating changeup. Yeah, and he that changeup goes what, 84? Yeah, 84, 85. He has a great second. You're talking about up. a 15 mile an hour difference between fastball and changeup. Deadly. There's only a few pitchers in history that have been able to do things like that. Yep. John Smoltz. Um, Maddox, when he was throwing 93, 94, and that 80 mile an hour changeup. Johan Santana, mm-hmm. Pedro Martinez. Yep. These are names of pitchers that can put a 15-mile-an-hour difference between a pitch. Canely yep. is somebody that if he gets on a hot streak and somebody like Chapman were to go down, Canely is somebody you might be able to throw into the ninth inning. And he can handle a big stage, and that's, that's good. The, yeah. rest of, the rest of the lineup going down, five catchers. Look how deep that is. You have Gary Sanchez. If Gary Sanchez can be any bit of the Gary – that we remember from his first year or two, a treat for the Kraken. Agashioka proved to be a solid backup, and now you'll you'll see him regularly backing him up, but now that Austin Romine is gone. Chris Ionetta, solid. Josh Tolley, ex-Met. That's, that's a name. I, I was waiting for that name. That's a Eric name Kraken. that I never thought I'd see on a major league roster ever again. First base. Congratulations to Josh Tolley. Yep. Luke Voigt. Mike Ford and Duhar, very three solid first basemen. Let me tell you something. Mike Ford, that's Mike Ford's job to lose right now. That's Mike Ford's job to lose. But the fact that you got a left-right tandem here and you could even throw in Duhar at first base. and He's coming back healthy. He's coming back from that injury that he missed all of last year. And now here is where I get scared if I'm the Yankees. Yeah. DJ LeMayu catching coronavirus is probably the worst thing that could have happened to you because second base is the place you could least afford to lose somebody. And DJ LeMayu is the player the Yankees can least afford to lose. The thing, the linchpin that kept that team together all year last year was DJ LeMayu. Yep. Yep. So you got to hope to God he remains asymptomatic and recovers quickly from coronavirus because Tyler Wade is a gigantic drop off. Well, you know, Tyler Wade, maybe he can – this is now his time to really prove himself. Maybe he could – he had a very good offseason from what I understood, and he really was working hard to to get that bat up to par. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that all pays off. Third base, love what we have here. Urshela, easy at third base. I think that's an easy put in there at third. I'd say Andujar could DH if you want. Yeah. Maybe switch him with Stanton here and there. Well, Glaber, Glaber obviously, Torres, short. Up that's not even a question. Here's the thing. In left field – you got to play Stanton as much as you can. Stanton has to be on the field. You need that DH spot open. It, it can't belong to Giancarlo Stanton. So Stanton needs to be out there as you much Talkman, as possible. You can always throw Talkman in there for defensive purposes if you need to. You have Wade. Clint Frazier, I've been a little suspect of him playing in left field. He, he can be great or he can make a bad mistake in the field. That could be, that's a person who needs to be hanging out in the DH role as much as possible as Clint Frazier. Now, in center, obviously, Hicks. Uh, to me, Gardner is, to me, Gardner is, you know, back and forth center fielder, probably maybe a backup center fielder at this point in his career. 
Garner Aaron can Hicks. play left field just as good as he plays center. Garner can play left field just as good as center field. Yeah, but then where are you playing Stanton? You see Judge occupies right field forever and a day. Oh, yeah, he's not going anywhere. He's no not way. going anywhere. So you got about five or six guys in two spots. Yeah. And three spots, actually, yeah. that you got to rotate players through. So the Yankees have a very, very, very enviable problem of having to find problem. playing time for a bunch of hitters who are able to smack home runs all over a ballpark. Yep. So the Yankees seem set. Now let's look at the Mets. This is going to be a very interesting. Uh, this is a very interesting scenario the Mets are going to be in, and as we take a look at and of course, their schedule, and of course the Mets go out of the frying pan of the COVID nineteen layoff right into the fire of Gehenna, having to deal with three games with the Atlanta Braves to start off the year, followed by four, followed by a home and home with Boston, and then on their way down to Atlanta to play three and then to play two with the Washington Nationals before they get a quick three-game break. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, they play the first, second, third, fourth. They, they play five days in a row with one off day. Then they play uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifty, sixteen days in a row in the month of August with a schedule that only has a, one real break in it with Three with a three-game set with the Marlins, and in between all that, they get three with the Braves. They get a bunch of games. Go back. They get three with the Braves. They get two with the Nats, then another four with the Nats, three with the Phillies. Then they get a little break with the Marlins, then right to the Yankees, then break with the Marlins, and then right to the Yankees again. And that's how they end their August. Then they get two-game break with the Orioles that they could actually maybe steamroll through. <clears throat> But then you're on to the frying pan with the Phillies, then back to a little two-game break with the Orioles and the Jays. Then they end their season playing three with the Phillies, three with the Braves, three with the Rays, and four with the Nationals. That is a brutal September to deal with. That's a tough way to end, particularly when you have to play the Braves, Nats, and Rays in a and row. And considering the Mets, this entire schedule is a tough schedule. Having to play against the AL East was not something the Mets needed this year. Let's take a look at their depth chart. Now, their rotation is set one through five. It's pretty solid. But can it withstand an injury? We don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, we've already, we're already withstanding the injury of our number two starter in North Syndergaard. Shroman oh, gets to move up to the number two starter role, which makes Rick Porcello our third starter, which is a scary situation that I really didn't want to have to think about. But Porcello's had his good moments. He had He's had good years, and he's – He's at the end of his career, though. He's at the end of his career, though. I'm not going to expect Porcello to pitch to more to pitch to less than a four ERA. I mean, look, you give me about it's not not reasonable to expect him to pitch to a three five. You give me about five or six innings out of him. I think you'll take that any day. I would. I would take more than I would take Max being able to stay healthy this entire sixty game stretch. He better stop getting hurt. Max needs to stop getting hurt. If Max can stay healthy the entire sixty game stretch, this Mets rotation will look pretty good. Let's move on to the next part. The pen. This is the part that scares the hell out of everybody. John, I can't even talk about it without getting that bucket that I used to use for hockey. So I don't have it next to me because we weren't talking hockey today. So I need you to go through that. What Edwin Diaz are we going to see? Are we going to get – is Dylan Batanzas going to be the lights-out guy for the setup role that he was with the Yanks? Jerry Sfamilia, is he going to be the guy that gets that ground ball instead of ball four? Mm-hmm. Is Justin Wilson going to blow hitters away? 
can Seth Lugo pitch more than one day in a row? Yeah. Robert Even though Gazelman. he was great last year, can Seth Lugo pitch more than one day in a row? And Gazelman be the Gazelman we remember. That solid – that guy that came up in the middle when the Mets needed help, and he provided a huge boost when he came up the first time. You see, here's, here's the Gazelman that you need. Gazelman needs to be stretched out. So, to me, Gazelman has to be your long man in case you hit an injury in the starting rotation. Right. So, that pretty much eliminates him from regular bullpen work. Now, you're going to be relying on Drew Smith and Justin Wilson a whole lot more than you thought you were going to rely on these two guys. Um, Lugo, hopefully he could pitch more than one day in a row. That's the thing. His stamina needs to be built up. If he could pitch more than one day in a row and remain effective, Seth Lugo could possibly even close for this team. He'd been a starter. Lugo's been a starter before. Yeah. Yes. But and I, and I know his preference is to start, but at this point in time, his best spot is in the bullpen right now. The key for the Mets is Edwin Diaz, just like it was last year. Edwin Diaz needs to be the closer for this team or the Mets' bullpen is in severe, severe trouble. Let's get into the catching situation, same as last year with Nito and Ramos. Ramos, your starter. Nito, your backup. Nito's probably not going to get as many as much playing time now that Noah isn't in the rotation. And you're playing 60 games. I mean, you can only maybe play your backup maybe a couple games at best. Yeah, that, and that's the other thing. You're going to be seeing a lot of starting catchers starting most of these games now. Yeah, you must. Because it's a sprint and not a marathon. You would have seen Nito playing a lot more if Noah Syndergaard were in the rotation because Nito's his personal catcher. Let's keep going. And honestly, the other big key to the Mets is this. Can Robinson Cano have a bounce back year? If he now has a bounce have, back year. Now you have, you have Jeff McNeil can play shortstop. Jed Larry, if he's healthy, can be a solid shortstop there too. You have Pete Alonso at first. You have Dominique Smith. If you need him to play first as a backup, great. I could see Dom Smith. In, I could see Dom Smith playing a lot of first base and Pete and Pete Alonso playing a lot of DH. Mm. Smith is the better glove at first, and Dom Smith's bat is not that far off from Pete Alonso's bat. And That's they're both the scary and part of the New York Mets. And they're both lefty and righties, which is pretty pretty powerful. Remember when the Mets had a quote-unquote glut of first baseman when it was like Lucas Duda, Ike Davis? and This is what a glut of first baseman look like. <laughs> Jed Lowry could play first if needed. Tom um, Smith is a great glove at first, plus his bat's insane. And once he got over the sleep apnea issue, he was able to see the ball better, hit the ball better. He was having a much better time in the major leagues once he got over that sleep apnea problem. Then Pete Alonso, we already know, rookie of the year. If Pete Alonso could only hit 310 this year instead of 330, if that's the drop-off we get, that's amazing. The other key, Joannis Cespedes, can he stay healthy enough to produce? Well, this is a guy you could DH just like you can Alonzo. This is a guy I think you better DH if you're the Mets. You know, the only thing I'll say is though, um, he is your second best defensive outfielder. Yeah, if you're the Mets, uh, Cespedes is your second best defensive outfielder. He doesn't get hurt. Yeah, when he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, when he doesn't get hurt. But to be honest with you, uh, the outfield defense can't suffer with Cespedes out there well if you can get productive games out of Cespedes and if he can stay healthy you know the Mets still have a stacked lineup 
their lineup's going to be very dangerous. They do not have a weakness one through nine. If Cespedes can remain healthy and Cano can get back to some form of form, one through nine, they do not have a weak spot. And the National League's playing with the DH just as the American League is, so the pitchers aren't batting here. The DH will play on the National League side. So you could be DHing Alonzo all season long, putting Dom Smith at first, and then there, and then JD Davis, and then Cespedes at left. You can always move parts around, just like with the Yankees can do it with their pitching staff. The Mets can do it with their with their infield and outfield. They so do it with that interchangeability. It helps the Mets, but the big problem the Mets have is they can't suffer an injury to the starting rotation because oh, the no. bullpen's already weak enough. Yeah, you lose. Um, Marcelo cannot get hurt. Waka cannot get hurt. How about Mets cannot get hurt? Exactly. That's just the big one I'm worried about of getting hurt. Same thing with Strowman. We've had issues. Strowman has had injury issues in the past as well. He has. He has. So four out of your five in the starting rotation each have injury histories and bad injury pasts. Ever since DeGrom has been in the majors, he hasn't had the injury bug. But remember, he has had Tommy John surgery before he even got up here. Yes. So... If you're looking at the Mets bullpen situation, you maybe can stretch Gazelman out to replace a starter. You need Seth Lugo to be a seventh or eighth inning guy. You need Seth Lugo to be somebody that's in the back end of that bullpen. But Tanzas has to pitch well, and Diaz has to not bolter. If all these things happen, the Mets could possibly win the NL East. But What's your record for them? How do you think they're going to do? 32 to 36 wins. I'd say more along the low side. I'd say 33 to 35 wins they just miss. 35 and 25, and depending on things. If it's 35 and 25, that makes the playoffs. Would that get him a division, or that probably makes him a wild card? That's the question. Well, if they're a wild card, the Mets have a big advantage. Their pitching has got more than enough depth in a one-game playoff. And you have oh, in a one-game playoff, I would start. start ja- Listen, if I were, if it were a one-game playoff, I'd start Jacob Degrom and finish with Marcus Stroman. I, I wouldn't even play around. I wouldn't even. In fact, I'd start Marcus Stroman and in the fifth inning put in Degrom. I wouldn't play. That's what so, you do. If, if 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 losing the Madison Bumgardner in 2016 taught you anything, it's that you make sure you get into that series because. If the other three remain healthy, you have three capable starters to take games one, two, and three. We'll deal with the playoffs once we get into them. Yankees, I could see them, if everything goes right, I could see them winning at least 40 games. I see them, winning 40, I see them winning 40 games if, Stanton, if Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge both get hurt again for an entire season. I see them winning 40 games. Well, the Yankees If Judge can stay healthy the whole season and Stanton can stay healthy the whole season with everybody else, firing on all cylinders, being able to play hot hands. This is the type of roster that could win 47 games out of 60. If all goes well. It should be very, very interesting. I don't see a scenario where the Yankees don't score five runs in a baseball game. I really don't. Look at that lineup top to bottom. They should score six. That's on paper. They should score six. That, line, that roster is so stacked, you could literally create lineups for lefties and righties, for hard-throwing pitchers and soft-throwing pitchers. You could mix and match players to, mix, to fit the pitching that you're going to play against that day. Well, here's what that is how interchangeable everybody is in that lineup. So here's what's going to happen now. You're playing 60 games. You cannot 
go on a bad stretch at any point. That one bad stretch could cost you going into those playoffs. Exactly. So anybody who's had a big contract and, uh, you know, got to start no matter what because they were getting paid all the money, like, you know, your uh, Davises out in Baltimore, um, that's not going to be happening this season. If you don't play, you're getting thrown to the bench for somebody that can because it's a sprint and not a marathon. This is where and you earn your money. This is where yeah. you earn your money, period. This is it. You either play or you get benched, and that's the way it goes this season. You could be seeing a lot of breakout stars in the major leagues this year if, of course, the virus allows. Welcome and with base. that, Welcome and with that, on COVID-19. Yep. And with that, that we'll, we'll um, end downtown sports. Um, I want to thank Chris DeLarge. I want to thank Tony Mainville, our statisticians, for uh, helping us come up with some of the uh, information that we brought here to you today. Beast, they can listen to us on nine different platforms. What are they, sir? CastBox, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Overcast. We are on every Tuesday, Wednesday with rants, live episodes every single week. We are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. For the Beast of the East, John Compariente, it's John Cervoni, the Mount of the South. This is Downtown Sports. Yeah.